Scrap fans, and welcome to the final furlong, I suppose. Well, not furlong, but the final lap, maybe, of this special first-time edition of Rerun the Rivalry, the new series within the Let Me Tell You Something podcast universe, in which myself, you Let Me Tell You Something co-host, Lorcan Muller, and your other Let Me Tell You Something co-host, Simon Cross, recount the major incidents, matches involving... A great rivalry of the ages within the world of professional wrestling. We went for maybe the best of all of them, at least in the 21st century, for our first choice. And now we're coming down to the point where it's really not a rivalry based on hatred or animosity or the desire to be the best, but really a a bit of a mutual appreciation society at this point. (laughs) Both by the two people involved and those witness to this event. Simon, where are we? When are we, and who are we watching? We're not in Japan. I know, I know. Dallas, Texas at the American Airlines Center. One of your co-hosts has actually attended an event at the American Airlines Center. This is quite nostalgic for me, actually. It's an A-block opener. Now, usually when we've had a G1 match against these two, it's been the last match of the group. It's been the show closer. Someone has to do something in order to advance. But we're opening the show with this. Well, we're opening the G1 with this. And it's um, obviously Tanahashi, who won the G1 last year, taking on Okada, who is IWGP champion. To be fair, the first one they had in 2013, I think it was, that was the penultimate one. They did have another round of matches to go, but that was also when the G1 climax would have the final take place on the same night as the final block matches. Ah, okay. So it was sort of the last full day of the blocks, if you want to put it that way. So very often, that's where the biggest match of the block will take place. Okay. Because they don't want to go through two of those matches necessarily on the final night. You want to spread out your hits, don't you? Yeah, you're right. The placement of the match in the tour, the location of the match, and the way that the match is wrestled. It's like now this match has become almost the closest equivalent to what New Japan doing, what WWE do at their Saudi shows. Mm. Where you get two of the legends to do a greatest hits version of their matches in Saudi Arabia. You know, we had the Triple H Undertaker matches, Triple H John Cena. We we've seen those sorts of ones where there's no uh, Triple I think Triple H Randy Orton had one in Saudi Arabia as well, didn't they? Triple H basically was involved in a lot of them. <laughs> a lot of them early doors, yeah. Yeah. Undertaker against Goldberg, although that wasn't a rivalry, it was still, you know, <laughs> an oldies tour. Wouldn't use the term classic to describe Undertaker Goldberg. Nor uh, DX versus Brothers of Destruction, either. No. <laughs> to be fair to Goldberg. <laughs> but, to be fair, you know, New Japan's equivalent of that is still a very good match. But it's just something that doesn't come close to the heights of the matches that we've covered in this series so far. The only match that this is definitely better than in this series is the very first match when Okada's a young lion. Mm. Mm. and maybe the first match where they come back, but at the very least that match is significant, even if it's not quite there yet. Yeah. But this one, it was so curious just watching it, just seeing little bits where it's like, 
like I said, it's a mutual appreciation thing. They've taken this to Dallas because it's a celebration of these two men that essentially they're saying, this match is how we've been able to, or at least it's the first step in how we've been able to put on a show in Dallas on this G1 Climax. And earlier in the year, co-promoted a show that sold out Madison Square Garden. The only thing that's really a, a letdown in this is the fact that you can see large sections of empty seats around the place now like you said you've been there so how many people would you say that arena holds usually Twenty thousand. so i think it's probably the case that they've maybe sold six thousand five thousand tickets to this show yeah now if you put that on in an arena that holds six to seven to ten thousand people you can make that look good but you don't make it look good when it's like this. And it's weird, like, New Japan, they've lit the Tokyo Dome to very much hide the fact that there's way more seats empty in those shows than there are in this one. Yeah. But with this one, they don't seem to have... It's like house lights up. Because <laughs> yeah, Tokyo Dome's different. They're sort of grandfathered in. So even during the fallow years, they'll try and like run those shows on specific dates, as is tradition. And New Japan loves tradition. I think they overreached with this. I remember at the time, people were like, ah, okay, they don't have Kenny anymore, so they don't have the bridging star. They've gone too late with this. It was a combination of factors beyond their control. Because they'd done Madison Square Garden only a few months earlier, and that had sold out. Now, that had sold out on the assumption I think a lot of people had that the elite guys were going to be there. But then, New Year's Day of 2019 is the announcement of AEW. Yeah, They all wrestled their last matches at the Tokyo Dome for Wrestle Kingdom, Cody, Young Bucks, Kenny Omega. And already by this point, I would assume that there was at least a few AEW shows that had happened by now. So, And also, I think the other big mistake they made was booking themselves in Texas. Yeah. Texas is obviously a hot wrestling area, but I don't know that it's the hottest area for New Japan. If they'd have booked somewhere in the Northeast, Philadelphia, Boston, New York, again, Brooklyn, maybe even gone as far as Chicago or even Los Angeles, maybe they could have shifted a few more thousand tickets there. But it is awkward because obviously Madison Square Garden, I just double-checked, that's another 20,000-seater arena. So you've sold one in America already. You're like, okay, maybe we try a different market. It wasn't Ring of Honor that was the massive draw there. It wasn't people... People weren't clamouring to see Marty Skrull versus Matt Taven versus Jay Lethal in a ladder <laughs> match for the ROH title, which was their contribution to the main event. Yeah. Isn't that the one where Enzo and Cash turned up in Ring of Honor for a hot second? I think so, yeah. Yeah. Also, doing a G1, obviously that would be very appealing to people, but it was day one of the G1. Now, day one of the G1, they do often put on big shows and big matches, and they will very often have one or two major upsets. But it's also, there's very few G1 climaxes where the first show's matches are the ones that are in the running for the five-star ratings of the match of the years. It's usually the final nights of the block and the final. Well, you're setting your storylines out, aren't you? Like, your stall's being set. And no one wants to be getting injured, so you're not necessarily going full guns. And I don't think that Okada and Tanahashi were holding back, but I think they were giving the match that they thought was the best one to give at this point. Mm. It is a greatest hits, essentially. There are moments in this where they do moves from the classic matches, 
but they don't necessarily have the resonance of what they meant in those matches. Like, very early on, when they do the forearm exchange after the slapping of the chest, they pull at each other's hair. Now, in those early matches when they're doing that, that's a sign of that hatred they have to each other. Yeah. And the masculine bravado of it. For this, at best you can say it's like a wake-up call to both of them of, like, we're still in this match. (laughs) But it's more... How you guys loved seeing us do that in the matches that you watched at home that was going on across the other side of the world. Now you've got to see it firsthand in front of us. Yeah. It's a difficult position in a sense, really. New Japan obviously traditionally has been a national promotion, which is now trying to obviously go international with this market. And through the growth of New Japan world has a level of interest in other countries. And I can understand the appeal of going, okay, let's give them the cool stuff. Give them a lot of the stuff they know. Creatively, a greatest hits sort of thing is a little bit stifling. But again, it was like night one of the G1. Like, you're not going to have your intricate storyline set. It's a fiddly spot. <laughs> it was the first one of these matches that you could almost say it's out of continuity. Yeah. Where you don't really need to have seen it to appreciate anything going forward. Mm-hmm. And maybe you need to have seen the old stuff to get what they were referencing. Yeah. I mean, it's also their shortest match in a long, long time. It goes 22 minutes, I think. 22 minutes, 4 seconds. They don't even tease a time limit draw or anything along those lines. Yeah. That is genuinely the shortest match they've had since Okada's return. The only match that was shorter was Okada's Young Lions farewell match, which went 13 minutes. And there's not a shorter match until they recently wrestled in America again for the IWGP (laughs) title. And that match only goes 21 minutes. It's a little bit like the... Do you remember when Sean Connery came back in the 70s to be James Bond in like an unofficial Bond film? It's got that sort of vibe to it. Like all the stuff is there, but you're right. It's not like canon canon, is it? I'd say it's almost like later seasons of popular sitcoms where they're just so reliant on catchphrases and they're not bringing anything new to the table anymore it's like flanders later on in the simpsons sort of but the thing about flanders is they kind of corrupted his character in a different way this isn't a corruption of the match but the the key point now is tanahashi's no longer at okada's level and there's never going to be a time where they will be returned to a different level unless Okada suddenly sank without a trace or something. Mm. Tanahashi had his final flurry in that 2018 trilogy that we saw. But now, it, since then, he's won the title in January, but then drops it without defending it successfully once to Jay White, who also drops it without successfully defending it to Okada. Okada is now full-on Rainmaker. Blonde hair, jackets, the same colour scheme. Even the shorts are back that he now gets to play with the crowd, like ripping off his (laughs) trousers to reveal that he is wearing shorts, gets a pop from the crowd, and even Kevin Kelly brings that up. But the shorts pop enters its second year. I, I do think it's not just like, I don't like change thing. Like, there's a reason Okada in shorts looks right because if you have those long legs that's how you best display his athleticism Mm. the drop kick doesn't look as good when you can't see the precision 
of the legs close together or anything. If you're just seeing flared trousers going up in the air, it just doesn't look right. It's, it's the same reason that Randy Orton would look stupid if he had wore long trousers. Or like when Triple H wore bicycle shorts for a couple of weeks. Yeah. Yeah. I think that was Triple H trying loads of different stuff out until something stuck. I got why Shawn Michaels switched to those types of trousers from the tights, because he just didn't necessarily have the leg muscles anymore mm. to look good in the tighter clothing, so he needed a bit of air to move about a bit. <laughs> but yeah, it's it's kind of like a an AI-generated match structure. <laughs> you put in all of the usual moves, and then an AI just generates it, and you say, but you've got to do it in 22 minutes. You know, you've got Tanahashi going for dragon screw leg whips, targeting the leg. Okada hitting most of his best stuff and doing some cocky, you know, moves. Like, again, recreating his pose with his stepping on the chest of Tanahashi, Mm. like in the first of their 2018 matches. And then Red Shoes scolding him and the crowd giving Red Shoes a little round of applause as well. I mean, even get to fit in a little, give Red Shoes a spot. Because the camera's, it's not shot the best. I have it in my head that Red Shoes just did like a mocking rainbow pose. Yeah. Obviously, that didn't happen, but... That was another thing I was trying to remember. During the Kokada period, he didn't even... Did he do the Rainmaker pose? I'm trying to remember, and I'm not sure if he did. Not in the ones we've seen. Not that I can remember. Yeah, not that I can recall, with the camera zooming out. So it was cool getting that. And also, I always love it when they factor that camera shot in. But then you can see in the distance if the opponent's actually done something about it. Like, one of the most, the funniest ones is just suddenly you see Tomohiro Ishii getting up off his feet and just smacking him in the chest. <laughs> <laughs> with this one, it, or the other funny one is uh, him doing it with Captain New Japan. But Captain New Japan just stays down. <laughs> he, just, that's the, he doesn't even need to do the Rainmaker part. Despite the crowd being small in percentage of the arena, the the excitement and the happiness they have for just being able to see this really is something special. Yeah. And that's one of the great things when wrestlers go somewhere where they don't get to go all the time. And they get to really feel the love that they get. Like when um like when Edge came to the UK for the first time after his comeback and it was like that's 2020 Royal Rumble pop for for Edge again, you know, because the UK fans have been even longer. Clash at the castle. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we'll probably get that when AEW do their first show in the UK. They're gagging for it. You can tell. Like the reaction that guys like the acclaimed, Darby Allen, when Jericho comes out and the UK crowd will be singing Judas in my mind for the first time. Obviously, he's probably had that during the Fozzie tours, but you know what I mean. Yeah. All those elements, all the elites, everyone, you know. It'll be it'll be huge. Bloody hell! Even Kip Sabian might get a strong response. I don't know. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. Like Pack. Oh god, the Pack response will be gold. Yes, that is true. Yes, Pack will get a huge response. Uh, Orange Cassidy. That I can see Orange Cassidy actually getting the biggest reaction in the UK. <laughs> so many of these things is just them doing. They're, they're doing it well. Like they're keeping it within the structure of a match, and it's. But like I said, it's just kind of. It's the least where I felt like Tanahashi's going for a strategy or anything, but mm. they're still having the fundamentals of an exciting match. Like I would, like the the ceiling I could go with rating this match is four stars, but I wouldn't feel bad rating it four stars. Yeah, you know what I mean. It's just like an enjoyable love letter to themselves in a way, really. Yeah, but to the fans that have followed them, you know, and again, they're giving the fans what they want to see for the most part. I think they would love to see 
a match of the caliber of their Wrestle Kingdom matches, you know, the best of their 2013 stuff. But if you're not going to get it, you'll at least get the facsimile of it, you know, and those are yeah rare moments in time and again the understanding at this point is that the tanahashi of 2019 is not that tanahashi of 2013 that and that is played into the character and the reason that he gets the sympathetic babyface love like even though it's like literally at one point the fans champ both these guys the one moment that there is a smidgen of booze is when okada puts his foot on the chest of tanahashi yeah i think it's just the case that the older guy will always be the crowd favorite because you got the longer period of time of affection, and they're the underdog in the situation. You know, Tanahashi had that when he would be facing the third generation guys when he was looking to usurp them, or he had usurped them. And then, you know, when Nakanishi got a surprise win over him for the IWGP title, that was a sentimental crowd that would go for... Yeah. Like, if, now if Tanahashi were to go in the ring with Fujinami, I bet you the crowd was probably backing Fujinami over Tanahashi. <laughs> <laughs> you know... You young whippersnapper, Tanahashi. <laughs> oh, bless him. I mean, the thing is with Tanahashi, he does look great, even though he, until he, like, you know, walks around and you're like, oh, yeah, age, <laughs> age is a factor here. Well, and then he still does top rope high fly flows to the outside. But again, that felt the least kind of, like, this is a key pivotal moment or anything. It just felt like, I do also wonder, I wish I'd kept a record during all this time of knowing how many times does Tanahashi do that high fly flow to the outside? Is it something that he just reserves for the Okada matches? Or not? I don't know. Because Romero says that he's like deliberately grounding his style, but it's like, is it for Okada that he knows he has to... Throw everything. Yeah. Because like, just because we're seeing him do it in every Okada match, it's not like it's just him doing it in every match. It's just like, yeah. Okada's the guy that needs to get this. Yeah, it's not like the Ric Flair flop, which you'd get all the time kind of thing but it's like how kenta kabashi doesn't use his burning hammer on just anyone <laughs> you only get a few of those per career once you use them they're gone <laughs> so yeah with tanahashi and like i said the greatest hits i think the most explicit part was towards the end because it is like well we've got to get this done in 22 minutes so let's make sure we get this and there's like a sequence of basically pop-up no selling of them hitting their best move you know like tanahashi stops something in order to hit twist and shout but Okada yeah. gets up and does the shotgun drop kick. But then Tanahashi gets up and does the sling blade. Then runs the ropes into an Okada drop kick. Then Okada goes for the tombstone. Then Rainmaker, but that gets reversed into a sling blade. Like they're racing through the hit. It's like it's like a Super Bowl medley. Something <laughs> <laughs> in that moment. Yeah. Well, they've got less time for a G1 match, and they're trying to just make sure all of their cool stuff's seen. It's not rushed. No. But they even homage the most famous moment probably in the entire rivalry, which is him holding on to the wrist control yeah. when Tanahashi slaps him in the Wrestle Kingdom match, even down to Red Shoes pointing at it. That is like Jimmy Page doing the first few notes to Stairway to Heaven or something. Yeah. <laughs> Okada finds his finish with the spinning tombstone and the Rainmaker, but again, it's not like in the 2018 match that he won, which was the last time that he won a match against Tanahashi. It's now him that's waited a while to get one up on Tanahashi. It's like him snuffing it out. With this one, it's just, uh, this is how I do it. Like, how he finishes Tanahashi is no different to how he'll finish most of the people that he'll beat in this G1 climax. Mm, you do get bits of defiance from Tanahashi still at the end. You get his, like, prize small package, which is a moment of genuine, like, oh my god, it could happen. Well, that was the other thing I was noting. Like, literally, there are three near falls in the entire match. 
Tanishes the inside cradle, and then he hits him with a dragon suplex. That's his two near falls. Actually, I think that's literally it. And then the third, then it's the Rainmaker, and that's it. Okada doesn't even have to like come close. He just hits yeah. it, and that's it. And it is a real establishing at that point of like cause Tanahashi's on the way. Like he lost, like I said, he lost to Jay White. Then he lost to Zack Saber Jr. at Madison Square Garden. Mm. We're less than a year away from him challenging Takagi for the never open weight belt. That's how far we've done fall. <laughs> Tanahashi. But the fact that he can still play this role and he's such a crowd favourite that and Tanahashi has so much strength in America that they can book him in those big shows in America and they can have him lose. It doesn't damage Tanahashi. It gives someone in America still the kudos of beating Tanahashi. Yeah. You know, that's why that's why they booked him to main event Forbidden Door because he's the new Japan guy that can lose, but it's plausible to that American audience. And, you know, I would have loved to have seen what Tanahashi and a motivated CM Punk could have done. Alas, that wasn't to be. Who knows? Who knows? Maybe one day. We never know. I mean... A certain someone was at that New Japan show recently <laughs> in the crowd. Much so Dan Housen's disgust. <laughs> but this wasn't a match that was filled with disgust, but it wasn't filled... It, we, like I said, we really are in the... Uh, we're in, like, Frodo and Sam having nice time back at the Shire, and everyone's like, really, is this movie not ending yet? <laughs> situation. <now. laughs> oh, dear. Because by this point, they've all shook hands and they've tag-teamed together. Obviously, at time of recording, we're building up to them challenging for the tag titles, which was something I predicted for them to do actually after, like, around this time because of that union of the two at last. Like, I remember they were showing footage of them waiting backstage to enter and doing a little, like, yeah, hand-slap, fist-bump thing that they've already got down pat. So that's where this is, so... And especially since they're friends, really, the only way that they will get booked against each other in the future will be tournaments, essentially. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if they either only ever wrestle each other again in G1 Climaxes or maybe even just New Japan Cups. And that'll be the only situation where I can see Tanahashi getting a win. Yeah. Because it will be like, you know, when you get a little upset here or there along the way. Mm. New Japan Cup actually probably more likely than the G1 because with the G1 there's always that thing of you've got to have the rematch if you're either the champ or you're going to be challenging the champ and that still is kind of the default position of Okada usually coming out of these G1 climaxes. The love is there now at this point and that's all this match was about was love. Yeah. And that's great but it was better when it was hatred. (laughs) (laughs) It meant more. Yeah. I don't have anything more to add to this match. Really fun. Like, if I was in a live crowd and I paid money for a fan experience and I got to see this match, I would be very happy with what I saw. Yeah. I would get to say I saw an Okada Tanahashi. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if we actually got to see Tanahashi Okada in the UK. I can see that being the match that they trot out for the international audiences. Yeah. And like I said, it's a hell of a lot less embarrassing than DX Against the Brothers of Destruction was in in front of a... (laughs) Some indifferent Saudi Arabians and some people that were into it. I think the closest we get is uh, Tanahashi's hair gets slightly dishevelled in this match. No one's yeah. mask falls off. Yeah. 
So for the next one, side, like we say, there's just these long gaps in between. It's the last of the Japanese matches that they have. What are we at next time? We are sticking in G1 Climax territory. We are moving forward a day in the tournament, though. So this match is it's a day two match in the 2021 G1 Climax between the two. But until then, if people want to get in touch with you, Simon, how can they do so? Uh, they can get in touch with me on Twitter. I'm sending the Simon Cross free. Free for the number of seconds it took me to fully process the half John Cena, half Okada giant face that someone bought as a sign. My name's Lorcan Munnell. That's L-O-R-C-A-N-M-U-L-L-A-N at the start and end of appreciation. That's my Twitter handle, Instagram, Facebook, letterbox. If you're putting at gmail.com at the end of it, that's my email address. Get in touch with the show at lmtyspod at gmail.com. lmtyspod is also our Twitter and Facebook handles. But there's nothing left to say at this point except that my name's Lorcan Mullen. And my name's Simon Cross. Thank you for letting us tell you something. And I hope you'll stay with us as we come towards the end of our rerun, The Rivalry. Oh, I'm